Well, we're going to begin a, a study in the book of 1 John this morning. And as uh, is my practice, we, we're going to begin before we get into the Word with just a little bit of uh, time in prayer. And Gabriel, please make sure that my microphone is turned on. Thank you, sir. But while I'm praying aloud, if you would pray in your hearts and uh, be praying also. We, we went live this morning as our first opportunity to go live. Uh, we knew some of our folks were not able to make it. We wanted to make sure they were able to make it uh, with us by way of online. So we're on sermonaudio.com slash Buckingham Baptist. So if you're not able to make it, uh, feel free to go there. We're going to start uploading all the sermons there. Uh, they're porting over some of my old sermons as well. And so you'll be able to find uh, a lot of information on sermonaudio.com slash Buckingham Baptist. So hopefully you're able to join us when you're not able to be with us physically. But let's go to him in prayer, asking him to speak to our hearts. Our great God and Savior, sweet Lord Jesus Christ, we come before you this morning because you're the only one to whom we can turn. You are the, the one who guides us. John wrote of you and introduced you as the Word. And so we come before you recognizing that any guidance, any light that's going to be illuminated upon us will happen because of you, because of your Word, and the Spirit that dwells within us, guiding us and teaching us through your Word. So, Father, there are are some of our family members who were not able to be with us this morning, and we miss them, we love them, and we want to see them. And so, Father, would you encourage their hearts this morning as they're not able to be with us? Let them know that we do love them and we are praying for them. Father, we submit ourselves this morning. We sang just a moment ago that we surrender all. And, Father, I truly pray that that is an honest prayer of our heart, that we truly do surrender everything to you. Now, great God and Savior, we ask you to inspect us this morning. Show us through your word what it is that you would have us to do and how it is that you would have us to be. We'll be very careful to obey and to trust you in it. We pray all of this in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. And all of God's children said, Amen. Well, open your Bibles, if you haven't already done so, to the book of 1 John. 1 John, and, and uh, today as we begin our study, and this is, this is a study that uh, um, will probably take us quite a while, let's just be honest. I, I don't like to rush the Word of God, and as an expository series, I like to take my time going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and so we're going to begin today with chapter 5. I know that that sounds interesting. I have some of you just, wait, I'm ready, yep, you're going to be in verse, nope, I'm going to throw you for a loop just for a minute, because before we get into uh, any of the other things, we need to uh, have just a, a brief overview, and so we're going to take a moment as we begin this study in the first epistle of John, uh, and in a book study such as this, it is important to realize that while some uh, may not necessarily enjoy an overview, it is 
vital. It is very necessary. Um, uh, many times you'll, you'll pick up a book and it's time to read an, a, a new book and you have that little beginning portion, you know, the preface, uh, unless you're from the deep you know, parts of West Virginia, then it's a preface. Um, but you have the preface and a lot of people, they, they, they don't read the preface. They just jump straight to chapter one, right? It's like, I don't need to mess with any of this. Well, we want to uh, preface a few things and understand this book as a whole, if we can, before we really start to dig into it. And so next week we'll begin in chapter one, verse one. But today I'd like us to start, if we could please, at chapter five and verse 13. So if you would stand with me out of respect for the word of God, and we'll, we'll read his word for just a moment. And uh, uh, you all stand with me for just a few minutes. I'll be up here for three hours, so it's okay. Some of you were like, <laughs> it was a joke. Let's look, starting in verse number 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. If any man see his brother in sin, uh, his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them um, uh, that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I, I know, as I said, I, I know introductions can be foolish to some, but, you know, it's important for us to see, it's important for us to see a, a, a good view over the entire thing. Uh, whenever we study a book, it's important to note several things right off. It's important to note who the writer is, to whom he is writing, why he is writing, what the setting is, perhaps even the historical context of what's going on. You know, when you read certain, uh, uh, certain books, such as the book of Jeremiah, it's important for us to understand that they were getting ready to be, uh, to be taken into captivity. When you read uh, uh, in the book of Nehemiah, you understand what's taking place. When you read the book of Esther, you understand what's taking place. You know, if, you, if you're familiar uh, with, uh, uh, with Xerxes and things of that nature, you're familiar from a historical standpoint, then you can understand the type of situation that Esther found herself in. Uh, you, you'll understand a lot of this if we, if we take just a moment to go through. You see, all of these different things shape how we understand 
what we're reading. You know, we have our Awana clubs on Wednesday night, 2 Timothy 2.15, which is the key verse, the, the, the main verse of Awana. says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's important for us to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. I can't tell you how many times I have been under preaching where I've heard things and I'm going, what Bible did that come from? And typically what it is is you have uh, someone who has taken a verse and they have pulled that verse out of Scripture and completely made their own uh, understanding of it, their own interpretation. Beloved, the Bible lets us know there's one interpretation. One interpretation. The, the Scripture is not up for private interpretation. And so we have to understand that there is a context within a context being key. And so I need to keep all of what is in the Word of God and understand everything. This is why I love expository preaching, because as we're going to be making our way through 1 John, we're going to not just get a glimpse into this little section, into this little section. It's going to build and build. And by the time we get to chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, you're going to be looking back going, now I understand what chapter 1 meant. Now I see what chapter 2, verse 5 was saying here. And so we're going to have a really good understanding of all this. But it's important for us to get into this. We'll be dividing, or, or, or we'll be getting into this book uh, uh, over the course of probably, in all honesty, over the course of the next year. Uh, this is going to take us some time uh, to get, get through it. And I'm excited about it. Now, there's some people that are like, we're going to be an entire year in one book of the Bible. Beloved, trust me, we can spend an entire year in John 3.16 and not exhaust it. There was a preacher many years ago in, uh, in England who did exactly that. For one year, he preached on John 3, 16. The first week, he preached four. The next week, he preached God. The week after that, he preached so. The week after that, he preached love and so forth and so on. Then he got to the end of it, and he came back, and he preached for God. And then he preached God so, and then so loved. Love, we can spend an eternity in the book of in the book of First John and not exhaust the the riches that are going to be here for us. So let's take a look uh, at what's before us here. We're going to break this down to understand something about the messenger and the message. Those are the two main things that I want to look at this morning uh, as we get into this. And and it's important to note who is writing. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, uh, noting who is writing is uh, uh, kind of helps us to see um, what's going on, what's taking place. Uh, now, this book, there's nothing in the book that we're going to see where it specifically says John is the one that's writing. In most of Paul's writings, you'll see I, Paul, you'll, you'll see where he's, uh, he's letting it be known, whether he penned it himself or whether he dictated it. He, he lets you know, Paul, a servant of God. Uh, uh, John doesn't do that. Uh, but from from the earliest days, it has been readily a, uh, accepted that it was the, uh, uh, the the apostle John, John the Beloved. And the fact that John is not even specifically named and it's it's not made aware to us that John was the author actually gives a little bit of credence to that. If you remember reading in the book of John, 
which no one really contests that John the Beloved was the author of that. How did he refer to himself? He never referred to himself as John. He referred to himself as the apostle that Jesus loved, right? The Beloved One, the loved one of God. He, he, the, the one, uh, you even, uh, in, in, in one sense, you kind of get this idea that he is just blown away and completely in awe of the fact that God would love him, that he doesn't want to have anything. He doesn't want to, just, just don't call me anything else. I'm not John. I'm the loved one. He loved me. And so we find in John, as in, in the book of First uh, John here, this epistle, we find a similar thing. The silence to the writer actually favors John uh, as, uh, as the author. Uh, but not just in that, from a historical standpoint, if you were to read some of Polycarp's writings or uh, Irenaeus's writings, these two individuals are very, um, uh, very close to John in this sense. John was a disciple of Jesus. Polycarp was a disciple of John. Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp. And both of those two individuals, Polycarp and Irenaeus, both reference a lot of 1 John, and they both back up the idea, as John said, and then they would insert what he was saying. And, and, and it all comes from the book of 1 John here. Uh, both Clement of Alexandria and Tertullian repeatedly quote passages uh, from, uh, from 1 John, referencing them as John's epistle. So from the earliest days, there's really not any, any question uh, in the mind of, uh, of church historians, in the mind of most theologians, there's really not a lot of question as to the validity of this being written by John. But why is it really all that important to know who the author is? Well, I believe it's important to know who the author is because we want to know whether the, the, the book that we're reading is legitimate. You know, there's a lot of books, and you're going to, if you've not been uh, approached by this, you will at some point in your Christian life, uh, that, there's not, uh, that there's not all the books that are supposed to be in the Bible in the Bible. People will challenge you down the road of things like, well, what about the Gospel of Thomas or the Infancy Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Philip or the Gospel of Mary or the Gospel or that Q document, the Gospel of the so-called Gospel of Judas, right? And none of these really have any validity. They were all written 180 years plus um, after the death of Christ. No way it could have been written by those individuals. They just slapped those names on them in the hopes of making them uh, a little more uh, uh, valid. We don't have that here with the Gospel of John. But another reason from a Christian standpoint of understanding why it's important to know who wrote it, if you are to look at the writer and to understand something about the personality of the writer, you'll understand a lot more of what they're saying. You know, it, just think for a moment of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you were to read Mark and you were to read Matthew, you can read the exact same storyline. And Mark's is like three verses long, where Matthew is 18 chapters. Not quite, but that's the way it feels sometimes. And it's like you're watching, when you're reading the book of Mark, it's like a fast action you know, movie. I mean, it's, it's Schwarzenegger meets Stallone, and it's a standoff to the end, and then all of a sudden Jason Statham comes in and wipes them all out, you know. It's, Mark is that way. It's fast-packed. Why? Well, because Mark, historically and typically we believe that Mark was written by John Mark, which was a traveling companion of Peter. And so the Gospel of Mark was actually uh, the written version of Peter's account of the Gospel. And what kind of guy was Peter? Fast action. I mean, boom, boom, boom. 
What kind of guy was Matthew? He was a publican, very detailed-oriented. He was your CPA, and he was taking very meticulous notes, which is why when you read Matthew, it's more like a melodrama and takes it and, and stretches it out. So it's important to understand who is, who is writing in this. Uh, most date the letter back to around 90, 95 A.D., uh, so it's, it, it more than likely took place when uh, John was an older man. He was rather aged by this point, uh, and uh, this, he was nearing the end of his life. But he was speaking, think about this, knowing that it was written in that time frame, he was speaking to second and even third generation church members. So this wasn't brand new Christians. He was speaking to people who had, their kids had come along in the faith, their, children, their grandchildren had come along in the faith, and what happens when those type of things take place? Well, you know, this is a new day, and that writing was for then, and we need to make it relative for now. I'm so sick of hearing people say we need to make the Bible relative. <laughs> My friends, the Word of God is relative no matter what you say about it. The Word of God is relative no matter when it is. The same thing that was taught to the disciples in year one of, of the church's existence is the same thing that you and I can teach to our children today. It holds true. The Word of God stands. Nothing of it will pass away. Nothing of it. But at a certain stage in this church's life, you had second, third generation, and it's, it's yeah, that teaching is old-fashioned. And we need to move away from that. And then they started to adopt new ideas and new teaching. Now, we'll get into that a little bit more as we move through. But I want us to also see uh, the writing that it's primarily to believers. If you look where there in verse uh, or in chapter five, look at verse 13. He says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God. Drop back uh, also into chapter number four. Look what he says in verse six. He says, we are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He is referencing uh, how they are, um, uh, they are to be individuals who are uh, uh, not only just talking in a broad sense, but those who truly believe, those who know the Lord, those who listen to God. He says, I'm writing these things to you, believers. That's what he's saying. And so it's important for us to see those kind of things. Uh, if, uh, you know, several weeks back when I was teaching in Sunday school, uh, I had referenced 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Notice that verse with me. And this is why it's important for us to see who the audience is. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is not a salvation verse. Many people use that in, in, in evangelism to say, you know, uh, if you confess your sins, he will forgive you. Now, the application may be right, but John is talking to believers. And so the interpretation needs to be understood correctly. The, the emphasis is not on if you confess, he'll, for, he'll forgive. The emphasis is on did you confess? He's faithful. If you did that, he has forgiven you. 
And so the emphasis is different. It's not, here's a verse that will take someone to salvation. It's because of salvation, you can stand on the promise of his faithfulness. He forgave that. I've had people sit in my office time after time struggling to to gain that feeling of forgiveness. Did he truly forgive me? Beloved, if you confessed, he's faithful. Yes, he forgave it. End of story. So let's look at a couple more things here about the messenger. Understand how he is writing. And what do we pick up about the messenger as we read this? Uh, First, you're going to note the faithfulness of the messenger. Like I said, he was an older man by this point. You know, 90 to 95, he was well into his 80s. He was aged. And you know what happens with when, when age comes along. Uh, age uh, can, uh, can cause a couple things. <laughs> I was talking with my dad about, the, uh, about how much I enjoy the 40s. I, I love being 40, man. Some people are like, oh, I don't want to grow up. I don't want to get older. Man, I'm digging 40s. Dig- 40s are amazing. When you're in your 20s, people are like, you're just that kid. When you're in your 30s, or they, you, know, you give them some advice. You're like, I remember thinking that way when I was in my 30s. You know, nobody listens to you, right? And then when you're in your 40s, people are like, eh, you're half dead. I'll start paying attention. You've arrived. There's something about when you enter your 40s, they just quit. They, they don't pay attention anymore. And I'm like, man, this is awesome. I've arrived. I'm finally an adult. I had to wait till 40 to become an adult. I'm loving it. He says, you like that? Wait till you're in your 70s. The filter comes off. I said, you've never had a filter. I don't, I, you know, you can say it comes off at 70, but it came off long before 70. So, at, at, there's certain things that take place the older we get. And one of those things that we have to guard against is the older we get, the less we really want to fight. You know, it, it, it's, it's just, I'm tired. I had a, one of my mentors told me one day, he said, he said, Andy, I'm, I'm old, I'm tired, I'm washed up. There's not much left in me. I said, there's a lot left in you. Because I'm watching you. I want to know how to run through the, the finish line of my race chest first. I don't want to see you walk through the finish line. I want to see you bursting through. I'm watching you. How are you going to end the race? John was ending his race well. You see the faithfulness of this servant. Also, you were going to see boldness. We're going to see boldness. You see, understanding what the difference between boldness and and brashness is. This is, this is not brash. Uh, John was bold. He makes some very bold and pointed statements. For example, look at chapter 4 with me. <coughs> starting in verse 7. Now I love the introduction that he gives to what he's getting ready to say. Beloved. You see the compassion in there? The tenderness? Beloved. Let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. Now you want some boldness? 
he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. That's bold. Well, I can't love him. I can't love her. Beloved, let us love one another. He that loveth not knoweth not God. How would you like to have that one written right after you say, well, I just can't love that person. They're not lovable. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. That's a bold statement. That's one that ought to hurt. Notice what he says. He continues, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I think sometimes we forget how evil we can be. <laughs> and John makes a very bold statement. If he's able to love you, you can love them. I, think about that. Now, some, some, some of us, you know, we, we like to sit around like pious gas bags, you know. We're just thinking, well, I know you're talking about them and about them and about my husband, but you're not talking about me, Right? If I had a, a, the ability, we have these screens on the, on the wall here, and I had the ability to put a device on your head, and I was able to push a button, and everything that you thought, not what you actually did, but just what you thought in one 24-hour period was projected on the screen. Any volunteers? But we're good people, right? Ain't, ain't nothing going. I think if we had that opportunity, people would run from this place in terror. You're going to do what now? Yep, line up. <laughs> Ain't happening. But we're good people. I'm not that bad. What goes through your mind? And he loves you in spite of that. I can't love them. But he can love me. You see how audacious that is? I don't have to love them. But he's kind of committed himself, so he needs to love me. There's some bold statements that we're going to come through as we go through this book. <clears throat> you know, another thing that we see about him, though, <laughs> is his compassionate nature. He's so compassionate. I love the way he not only does the apostle show boldness in his direct truth, but he also shows compassion in how he delivers that truth. He doesn't simply point and direct. Look, if it was you and me writing the book, I, sometimes I can be a little bit of a jerk, and I'd be like, look, y'all don't know Jesus. Uh, you know, it's, that's basically what you want to say. How in the world? But what does he do? Beloved. Uh, beloved. Let's love one another. You see the compassion just oozing out of him. I like the way he states it in chapter 2. Look there in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous 
He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Anybody think that God only offers salvation to some? He offers it to all. All. But he says, my little children, you find it over and over again. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light. He talks to, uh, to the, uh, the, he uses the word beloved over and again. He uses the word my little children over and again. He talks to the fathers. His concern for the people drips through these pages. And if you read this book and only see the warnings, you completely miss the compassion. You have lost the message. He pours his heart into it. Read this as one who is exploding with this deep, deep desire to love on his sheep, to protect his sheep, and to help them through these, uh, through, through these situations. And he does so, I believe, he wrote this epistle with tears in his eyes. Which brings me to my next point. He was humble. Humble. I've learned through the years to use more we statements than you statements. Especially from this position. The last place this, this, this pulpit ever needs to be is a standing point for a rifle range. We're in this together. I told you when I joined that I want you to make me more like him. If all it is is a bunch of you statements... Uh, this is a one-way street. There's a we statement in this. And I love the humility of John. Beloved, let us love one another. goes back to what you know, we, we want to say. Y'all just need to love each other. Now he says, let us. Let us love one another. He's humble. You can see the humility of this. Uh, look at 1 John 1 and verse 6. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Do you see the we statements there? Do you see the humility in that? I think if anybody had earned the right to make some you statements, John would have been the one. But he puts himself right there. Look, I have been walking with Christ for years and years but I am still susceptible to the same fall anyone else is susceptible to fall. The closer we get to Jesus, get this, John's letter here exudes the faithfulness and goodness of God, and I have learned that the closer we get to Jesus, the more humility we possess. No room for pride and arrogance in the household of faith. No room for it. None. I pray every Sunday morning, Lord, if there's any ounce of pride and arrogance in me, get it out. This pulpit ought never be occupied by pride. Never. The arrogance of man should not muddy the, the message of God. 
I find, though, that the further away from Jesus I get, the more filled with pride I become. I get to the, man, I have really, I've taken care of some problems. I've solved some issues. Wow, I'm doing pretty good. When I was teaching high school Bible, the first year I taught high school Bible was my first year in ministry. I was a children's pastor, and all of a sudden I was also saddled with teaching high school Bible, and I had 125 high school students, 150 somewhere in that area, high school students look at me four four classes a day, looking to me for spiritual guidance, and I I was scared out of my mind. I didn't know nothing. I would go into the church or into the, the church and the school or together. I would go into the office at six o'clock in the morning just so that I could beg God to help me get this thing figured out. I it just it just didn't go well for me. But we got in there and the class went wonderfully well. The kids were listening, they were hanging on to every word, and, and the Lord did something amazing. And, and I, I went in, the, at the end of the year, we had, to, had some changes in the school. I had to step away from teaching high school Bible for that year and, and focus on the ministry at the church. And then the year after that, uh, the uh, principal comes up to me. And he says, we'd like for you to, uh, to teach the, the classic one more time. Would you be willing to do it? I said, yeah, I think I can do it. Worst year of my life. It fell like a lead balloon. I went in there with my ideas on how I was going to teach a class because I'd, I'd done it before. It worked great last time. This time I'm going to take it up a notch. You know what the problem was? I went into it with my own strength. The first year I relied on him. The second time I thought I could do it. The closer we get to the Lord, the more we are filled with humility. It's important to realize that we are not to put so much focus on us but on him let's look at the message quickly and then we'll start to wrap up because we want to understand how we can gain uh, what, what we can gain from all of this i want you to notice with john this is where we focus on him we notice with john the change that took place you remember he and his brother wanted to rain down fire and brimstone on the samaritans Let's just burn them up. Okay, beloved. See that change? Only God can affect a change like that. And then as age sets in, so does the danger of slowing down and compromising. Can any of this be said of you today? Can the change be seen? Can the slowing down be seen? This is where our focus needs to be as far as he is concerned. But not on, on John so much, but on what Jesus caused for John. Let's look at this. We have looked at the messenger. Now let's look at the message quickly. I'm going to go ahead and put these things up. Get these all on the screen for you. If you look at chapter 1, verse 4, John tells us why he is writing. These things write I unto you that your joy may be full. Drop down to chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate. You could literally sum this entire book up uh, by saying that he, he desires that their joy may be complete 
and that they would not sin. These two things go hand in hand. My joy is complete when I abstain from sin. And when I abstain from sin, it's because I find joy in him. They go hand in hand. But there were apparently other issues. There was a falling away of certain church members. Uh, they were leaving. Uh, the, the Bible even tells us here, he says, they went out from us, proving that they were not of us. Uh, if they were of us, they would have stayed. Uh, there were false doctrines that were entering in, and we'll be dealing with this a lot, even to the point of denying essential truths of the gospel, such as Christ himself being the Messiah. They were denying that. And so we're going to be looking at a lot of this as we move through here. Uh, uh, beloved, I, 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 I don't want to sound mean or judgmental or anything. I just want to be honest with you as a shepherd speaking to his flock. I, I want you to understand not everything that is labeled Christian is Christian. And John points that out. But the overall theme that we find here in the book of John seems to be knowing seems to be knowing john talks about knowing or know he uses that statement over 35 times in this book i want you to know something it's important that you know that we know this knowing that you'll notice that the only thing john tried to uh, correct in this it's not a, a real theological uh, book as far as taking and, and teaching a bunch of doctrines the way paul's books are the main thing that he tried to correct uh, was the character and nature of Jesus Christ. There was no focus on what the people were supposed to wear, how they were supposed to vote. There was no uh, focus on what kind of songs they sang, what kind of uh, shows they were watching. Uh, John doesn't deal with whether the director of The Chosen uh, was friends with, uh, with unbelievers or not. He doesn't deal with any of that stuff. He says we need to love one another. He says love him, love them. One of the main things that he does pull out here, he does a masterful job of confronting those who would attempt to wreck the faith while at the same time comforting those who remain. Uh, and, and, and one of the things that you're going to see in this, because of everything that was taking place in the church in that day, because of all that was taking place, you had uh, a group of people who were worried. Do, do I truly know Christ? That was a concern. I, I, maybe they're right, and I should have left with them. You had a big, heavy influence of Gnostics. You had a heavy influence of Gnostic gospel. And these Gnostics, they were different than the ones who were against Christianity. They were saying, we have progressed in our Christianity. We understand better than the, 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 the apostles did. And people were wondering, am I really saved? And then John says, these are the things that I have written unto you, that you may know that you have eternal life. So we're going to look at a lot of that as we go. So let's apply this. If you have any doubt, my prayer is that through this study, we're going to help put that to rest. Have you ever wondered about your salvation? Have you ever doubted before? I have. I have. Some of you may be more spiritual than me. That's okay. But I have doubted my salvation at times. There came a point in my life where it was nailed down. And I spend about a month in this book every year because of that. Because I love the truth that it holds for me. 
If you have any doubt, we hope to put it to rest. If you're struggling with false doctrines, we want to help you find truth. That's what we're going to do with this study. And my prayer is that you can find joy in keeping from sin. That you'll find joy in this. But you know, something that's important is that you can't, you cannot get these things from this book until you meet him. You can't. The natural man discerns not the things of God. It's foolishness to him. People are going to read through a book such as this, and they're, all they're going to do is they're going to pick out parts, and they're going to go, well, I don't like this, and I don't like that. The natural man cannot understand what God is trying to say when he says, love one another. The natural man's going to say, I don't have to love that. You don't know what they are like. You don't know what they've done. I don't have to love anybody. But God says, God is love. And anyone who knoweth God loveth. What about us as a church? Understand this. That the call of God is simple. I didn't say easy. I said simple. What has he called us to do? To believe on Jesus. Believe him. And love one another. Jesus said it this way. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Man, I'm telling you, this book is going to be powerful. This study is going to rock your world. I'm excited. I love the Word of God. I love the Word of God. And when we dig into something like this, the truths, they just start to come out. And it's amazing. It's amazing. One of the prevailing truths, like I said, though, is knowing for sure that you are a child of God. John doesn't deal with any, you know, I've had people ask me, well, how long can a, a real Christian, and I'm closing my Bible, you know I'm done, so you can wake your neighbor up. <clears throat> I've had people ask me, well, how long can a Christian stay a prodigal? How long can they stay in their backslidden state and still really be a Christian? How, how long? John doesn't deal with the time limit. He simply says, do you want to know whether you're saved or not? Is this true about you? Is this true about you? Is this true about you? If it is true about you, you, you can rest in it. Have peace. If this is not true about you, you need to check yourself. And so as we go through this, this is what we're going to have to, uh, have to discern, have to study through. And so if this, is, if this is true of you, then praise the Lord and live in that forgiveness. But if certain things aren't true of you, I beg you, in the name of Jesus, be reconciled to God. If you don't know for certain that you are born again by the Spirit of God, we have people here that can take a Bible in their hand and show you how you can be saved. And that's what I'd love to see for you today. Are you truly His child? Are you struggling with something this morning? This altar is wide open. There are people that would be happy to pray with you. I'll be happy to pray with you. So before we get into the study any further, let's iron that out. Do you know him? Heavenly Father, we'll come before you grateful that we can.
and so thankful that you've given to us uh, the opportunity to know you. We can pick up your word. We can study your word. We can see you in the pages of it. John wrote it this way, that you're, you are the word. And so, Father, all we need to do is study Jesus. And we'll understand what it is that you would have us to do. Father, I pray as we get into this book study, that we would see you high and lifted up, and we would see ourselves in light of your scripture. And so, Father, wake us up, use us, correct us, call us to a close walk with you. And if there be any through this study that, uh, that, that come that don't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day and that through this study that they would see their need of you in their life. And, Father, we'll be careful to praise you. Because we ask all of this in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.